2: Welcome to the program. I hope and pray you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, As for me, I didn't kill myself by eating too much, but I sure enjoyed what I did eat. Uh, In case you don't know it, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you've tuned in to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, whatever is on your heart and mind, um, about our faith, about what we believe and why. Uh, maybe something going on in your life will do the best that we can to answer. You need only to call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. One button that says call now, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Again, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We did. I have a couple of prayer requests for you. Um, uh, first and foremost, a uh, uh, young woman in our church named Jasmine is having twins today. Uh, They're going to take them about 4.30. Um, It's been really hard to keep these twin girls in her womb. Uh, They're going to take her earlier than than they're ready. So I would just appreciate your prayer for, for Jasmine, for her two little girls. And uh, for her family, everybody's there, sort of nervous but anxious in a good way as well. So please, please, please keep them in your prayers. And then I just got word that a friend of mine, Jim Callaway, a pastor here in town, Calvert Chapel, uh, is uh, been uh, diagnosed with a tumor, brain tumor. Um, they don't know much about it yet, except it's causing them some difficulty. So I would appreciate you praying for Jim and Joanne Callaway as well. Uh, Probably two of the nicest people you would ever meet in life. So those are the things that we would ask for prayer about. Because it's Monday here at Calvary Chapel, we have our men's and women's, uh, youth, high school, and junior high school age Bible studies tonight at seven o'clock. Uh, Linda uh, McMillan will be teaching the ladies. You can watch that ladies' live stream at CalvarySA.com, uh, or you can come and join us. Crowds start to thin out this time of year while people are shopping and getting ready for Christmas uh, and all the other things. So um, anytime you get a chance to do a good Bible study, we ought to be able to do it. Okay, let me get right to some questions. Here is a question that was sent in um, from our mobile app from Willie. Uh, It says, Hello, Pastor. Are the Christmas tree ornaments and lights of pagan tradition I'm a new Christian and I heard so many different versions about that would you be able to clarify and help me out in understanding this thank you so much and God bless you Um, Willie I'm thrilled that you're a new believer so um, I love that Um, a new Christian that's great Uh, Willie everything every tradition that, that we celebrate in this country is a pagan tradition. So yes, but that doesn't mean it's a bad tradition. Here's what I mean, and here's the way I want everybody in the audience. It's so easy to say, well, we're not supposed to have anything to do with pagan traditions. We're to come out of the world and be separate from the world. All those things are true, but, but not in things like this. You see, we can take a pagan tradition and we can make it Christian. What I'm saying, Willie, is that we can redeem that tradition, and as we redeem that tradition for the glory and honor of Christ, then we're doing something important. I want you to think about Christmas and Easter, both begun with pagan traditions, but there's two days a year, two days, where the whole world is thinking about Jesus. On Christmas, of course, this is the time we celebrate the birth of baby Jesus, Easter is when we celebrate his resurrection, the most important event in the church calendar throughout history. Anything that we can do as Christians, we can take a celebration, we can redeem it, and be a witness for Jesus all over the world, that's a good thing. So we have to get away from this legalistic mindset that says, well, because they had pagan traditions, uh, we we can't have anything to do with those kind of celebrations. No, what we do is we take those celebrations and we turn them into something that honors and glorifies Christ, and it gives us a platform, Willie, to declare our message. For the last two weeks here at Calvary Chapel, I've been talking about uh, the parable of the sower and then Jesus' response to it yesterday, and our job, Uh, is to sow, to scatter the Word of God. And on Easter, on Christmas, we get the opportunities to do that. Now, the lights um, are a picture of Jesus being the light of the world and Jesus telling Christians to let our light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I don't think, Willie, we ought to have Frosty the snowman I picked him because I've got Frosty the Snowman in my neighborhood. We don't need to have Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or a picture of Santa Claus. But we can testify to the goodness, to the greatness even, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And anything that does that, any opportunity that we can take, well, that's a good thing for us to do. One final comment, Willie. If we as Christians completely disassociate ourselves from these kind of traditions. What is the world going to say about our faith? Oh yeah, Christians can't do this, and they can't do that. There are some cults, you know, that that say, well, we shouldn't even celebrate birthdays. I think we should celebrate all we can celebrate, especially in a world that's as lost and dark as ours is, Willie. Be a light for Jesus Christ. And if you've got lights on your house or lights on your Christmas tree, and those lights are pointing to Jesus Christ, the light of the world in you, those are good things. So, Willie, really enjoy Christmas. 3409585, here is a couple of anonymous questions. Um, is there repentance available? to Satan and his demons. I'll take these one at a time. Uh, No, there is not repentance available to Satan and his demons. Uh, We know that because the demons who were given a chance, their chance was different than ours. It was a one-time only chance. And this sort of goes along the the lines of too much is given, much more is required. Um, The angels, before they fell, um, were in the presence of God, especially Lucifer. Up to the time that man was created, the most beautiful of all God's creations. A very powerful angel. And yet he was deceived. He sinned and fell. And then he took a third of the angels with him. They became what we call demons or fallen angels. But there's no repentance available. Their choice was a one-time-forever choice. Unlike your choice and mine, our choice, we can repent every day, we can ask for forgiveness as long as we have breath, just not so with the angels. The next question is, when the Bible says that Jesus is Lord of all in heaven and earth, does that mean that the sacrifice of Jesus is for them as well? Uh, no, the sacrifice for Jesus, uh, of Jesus is not for uh, angels, um, angels were again in the presence of God. So that He is Lord of all in heaven and earth simply means that He is over all things and everyone. He is in control of all that He created, and we know from the Gospel of John that He created all things, and in fact He holds all things together. Um, my last anonymous question here is When Jesus went to the darkness to preach the good news, did He preach to the demons? that are there as well. Um, he, he preached, but it wasn't a message of repentance or he wasn't sharing the gospel. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about Jesus going down uh, into the prison and, and proclaiming freedom for the captives. Two things were happening. One, those who were being held uh, in, in what's called paradise, Abraham's bosom. Uh, you can read about that in Luke chapter 16. When uh, the people were being held there, Jesus went down to set them free. He led captivity captive in his train. So uh, he he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he said, come on, we're free now. We're going. I'm going to take you to be with me in heaven. Uh, And so paradise was emptied out. But he declared victory. So that's what he preached. He preached the good news of victory. I have overcome the world. That was his message. And that means those who are held in the torment place of Luke chapter 16, those who are still there, by the way, they would have heard Jesus say, you should have believed, it was me, and now I've come to redeem my people, those who believe by faith. And it was at that moment um, that heaven began to be populated It was at that moment that Jesus took these captives and showed them what they were waiting for. I think about people like Abraham and Moses and King David. Paradise was a great place, make no mistake, but it wasn't heaven in the presence of Jesus. And at some point in that journey, as he led captivity captive in his train, they would have inherited their Glorified, resurrected bodies, and they all of them would have received what Peter calls the goal of their salvation. So, those are good questions. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Patrick. He says, Pastor, it seems the church picks and chooses which sins they are against. For instance, gay people are condemned, yet nothing is said about gluttony or fat people. Why is the church so selective? Patrick, surely you're not equating somebody who has a weight problem or somebody who eats too much with somebody who is rebelling against the very purpose of their creation. Certainly you're not trying to make that equation. See, these are not even honest questions. Is gluttony a sin? Yeah, but not all fat people are gluttons. I can tell you, Patrick, I was an obese man before I got saved. Um, And it wasn't because I ate too much. I had lots of bad habits. But I didn't know Christ. In the church, and you're right, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are unhealthy. Um, They miss out as a result of that. But you can't be serious in equating homosexuality with people who have a problem with eating or a problem with their weight. Why does the church say that homosexuality is a sin? Because God says it is. And by the way, just for your information, uh, we talk a lot here at Calvary Chapel about being healthy. God doesn't care how people look. To, To Him, we're all perfect. But He does care about how healthy we are so that we can serve. And so gluttony or obesity is a topic that needs to be addressed. We have uh, at Multimedical, Patrick, that's our free doctor's office. We have a husband-wife doctor team, we have a pediatrician there, a physician's assistant, a whole staff of nurses, and we have at Multimedical and Nutritionist. And uh, his name is Jared, and he's helped a bunch of people get healthy. He's helped a bunch of people lose weight, uh, get off medications, especially for diabetes in the area that we live in. So we address it. These things need to be addressed. But again, you need to check your heart because this is not an honest question. God made man and woman... He told us to multiply, to be fruitful and multiply. Romans chapter 1 says that he has given people over to the hardness of their own hearts, and the result was that they did indecent things, men with men and women with women. That's Romans 1. It's not an Old Testament law that applies only to Israel. And if God gave us the gift of sexuality, then we ought to honor that sexuality. I'll do one better here, Patrick. The war that we have even on gender in this nation, it's an amazing thing because what we're doing there is denying the sovereignty of God. God says men are men, women are women. And we say, well, I'm confused. I don't want to be a man. I want to be a woman. I don't want to be a woman. I want to be a man. We're rebelling against God's purpose for our lives. That's sin. And sexual sin is different than all other sin. Sexual sin is the only one of which it is said that because of our continued rebellion in this area of sexuality, God gives us over and our hearts get harder and harder and harder. And we actually contribute to Satan destroying us. So, Patrick, it's not the church that picks and chooses. Is there hypocrisy in the church? Of course there is. But that hypocrisy is not from Jesus. Yeah, I wish everybody was healthy. But more important, I wish everybody would agree with God because our world wouldn't be in the condition it was in. I mentioned this in my message, I think Friday night, I'm not sure, they all kind of run together now, but Paul and I were talking just this week about how I personally believe that we're, as a nation, uh, and I can expand it, as a world now, we're living in that Romans one time. I think what we've watched in this country Is God giving us over to our own hearts, our own sinful and wicked ways? We've lost the ability to be embarrassed, to blush. We no longer have the capacity for shame. We do these horrible, horrible things and mock God in the process. It's not enough to sin in private. Now we want to be accepted in public. It seems as though all restraint has been thrown off. And this is just one pastor's opinion, Patrick, but I believe with all of my heart it is because we've rebelled against God and he has taken his hand away. And things are not any better for it. They're much, much worse. So be a little more honest with your questions, Patrick. Thank you. Here is a question from Marlon. Pastor would you comment on the missionary who was killed trying to share the gospel off of India? Uh, Marlon, I'll I'll do the best I can. I don't know him. Uh, His name was John Allen Chow, I believe is the way you pronounce it. And the last part of the question, was he right to go since it ended in his death? Um, There's no way we can know. And we don't need to know Marlon if, if it was right for him to go. Here's what I can tell you. If the Lord told him to go, he had no other choice. Um, From the beginning of the church, in Acts chapter 2, people have been sent to their death for their faith. This case with John Allen Chow is similar, eerily similar to Jim Elliot's death. Um, in the, the, the jungles of South America. The difference then, I think it was in 1956 or 57, the difference then was that the whole world said that what Jim Elliot was doing by going to this indigenous people and trying to to, to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ, it was lauded. I think it was, I'm sure now, it's, it was Life Magazine Um, I've actually seen the copy of Life magazine that dealt with the the ongoing suspense after Jim Elliot's death I've met Elizabeth Elliot his, his wife who went back to those Indians and they repented and received Christ so it is quite possible that God would send and even sacrifice one man or one woman to save many. Our lives are not our own. Our bodies, our minds, our souls were bought with a price. So it was your right to go? That's between him and Jesus. I know he was determined to go. I know that the burning desire of his heart was to glorify Jesus, to share his Jesus with people who didn't know. And so while I don't know if that's what God was trying to do, I can say unequivocally, Marlon, that it wasn't wrong. It wasn't wrong. This young man is getting vilified in the press. How dare he think that he can bring salvation? Who do those Christians think they are? Even some Christians, tragically, Marlon, even some Christians are saying he shouldn't go. I'm saying if God told him to go, he has to go. And that's what matters, I think, more than anything else. It's not always going to be safe. It's not always going to be safe when we follow God's will for our lives. I hope that's the case. One final thought, and I'll go on. We've got about uh, four minutes left in this half of the program. On Friday nights, I've been teaching um, the last chapters of the book of Acts. have got one more study in the book of Acts. And the Apostle Paul, in the perfect will of God, found himself shipwrecked before the shipwreck. They were thought to be lost at sea. Everybody but Paul thought they were going to die. And there are people who say, well, you know, it was dangerous. He shouldn't have gone. But he had to go. He said in the 15th chapter of Romans, Rome being the one place he wanted to go, the place where the church was exploding, a place he hadn't been yet. He says, your faith is being reported all over the world. In the 15th chapter, he says, I know when I come to you, I'll come in the full measure of God's blessing. Well, Paul almost died in the full measure of God's blessing. Not only that, when he got to Rome, he was imprisoned in the full measure of God's blessing. So, Marlon, the truth remains, and it's always going to be this way. There are times when God, who has a right to do whatever he wants to do, asked us to make these kind of sacrifices for him all of the disciples who would become apostles save one died a martyr's death the only one who died of natural causes, it's not because they didn't try to kill him it's because God was protecting him was the apostle John, died at the age of about 95 but all of them were put in danger John's brother James was the first of the Apostles who were martyred for their faith. Why does one brother get to live till he's 95 and the other brother dies very early in the history of the church? Well, there's no answers for that. God's will sometimes leads us into dangerous places. And here's what I can tell you today about John Allen Chow. I don't know him. Uh, I did speak with a, a pastor who is from his hometown and grew up with him. Today he's in the presence of stunning beauty. Today John Allen Chow has a new name. He's heard Jesus declare that name with a voice that sounded like many rushing waters. And he looked at a face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. And John Allen Chow was home. Was he right to go? Hey, that's between him and the Lord. But I can tell you this, it's pretty evident that his heart was right. And when our heart is right, we're always in a safe place. And I don't mean safe that he's not going to get hurt, obviously, but safe in terms of the will of God. So, Marlon, that's the best I could do. If I knew him better, if he was somebody who came out of our church and I could have said, you know, are we sure you've counted the cost? And But uh, sharing the gospel is going to be dangerous. It's going to be dangerous. I personally believe that people like this young John Allen Chow are going to be under constant attack in this world that we live in now. Well, we have 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your calls. 340-9585 or toll-free. You can call us at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630 KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arball.
2: Welcome back to the second half of the program. 340-9585. Let's get right back to some questions. Here is a question from Greg. I'm laughing because I know what my answer is going to be already. How should I respond to friends who say Christianity is too old-fashioned? Greg, the way I always do it, this why I was laughing, is I say it's okay because God is old. God is old. You know, here's the serious answer. Greg, if something was right 8,000 years ago, it's right now. If something was wrong 8,000 years ago, it's wrong now. And God is the only one who makes the rules because God is the only one responsible for everything that you see. Every single thing that you see. So how I would respond to friends who say that Christianity is too old-fashioned, I'd say, well, God is old. That should comfort you because God doesn't change. Secondly, I would respond by saying, you know, God loves you. And he sent his son to die for your sins. You see, instead of being defensive about these kind of questions, we take the offense and we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. No person could say that God is too old-fashioned. They're going to reject him because we live in a sophisticated world with any knowledge of who he is, really who he is. So you use these moments as opportunities to share Jesus Christ again it's because it was just two weeks ago and I followed up on it yesterday Um, we have the responsibility but also the privilege the awesome privilege of scattering seed Jesus said the seed is the word of God so every single Christian has the responsibility to share Jesus and if we're looking for opportunities to do so Greg when somebody asks a question like that they've just walked right into your wheelhouse well, let me tell you how God, how old God is. He was there when there was nothing else. He was the one who made everything that is out of nothing. He's the one who thought about mankind, humankind, in his imagination and created us as his expression of beauty. He's the one who provides the seasons he's the one who blesses those who are his and those who aren't his he's the one who loves you the only one who proved it by sending his son to die for you on a cross and then of course Greg, you know the rest of the gospel just tell him Jesus died but he didn't stay dead and because he's alive and then the Holy Spirit will be free to take the word of God and water it from time to time But don't be on the defense. Is God old-fashioned? Wonderfully so. If God changed with the times, wouldn't that by definition disqualify Him from being God? So respond to them in love, but respond to them with confidence. Here is a question from Jonathan. He says... It's hard for me to believe in the rapture. How could millions of people disappear instantly? And if it were true, wouldn't it convince everyone that Jesus is the truth? Well, Jonathan, you'd think it would convince everybody. But here's what's going to happen at the end after the rapture. Um, There's going to be a delusion sent. The restraining power of the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of here in the form of the church. And as bad as things might look to us now, with nothing to restrain evil in this world... Imagine how horrible and how quickly the world is going to be, and they're going to believe the lie. I don't know what the lie is, but they're going to believe the lie, and uh, my opinion, Jonathan, is after the rapture, uh, we're going to be explained away, you know, we weren't fit to go into this new world, Uh, this is a justice that comes from God, Um, the Antichrist is going to try to fill that void. And people are going to believe it. Why? Because there's no restraint. We'll believe what we want to believe. And when millions, billions perhaps, of people disappear in an instant, I really think the world is going to say eventually good riddance. I also think that there's going to be a bunch of people who've been told about the rapture, and when they see it happen, they're going to repent and become Christians. It's going to be too late for them to avoid the great tribulation. But during the seven-year tribulation, the greatest revival by far, by far, in the history of the world is going to take place. Now, Jonathan, I also want to empathize with you because it was hard for me to believe in the rapture as well. I remember being a pretty new Christian. I'm talking two, three months in the Lord, and one of the men uh, uh, who was used by the Lord to lead me to Christ and another man, a friend of his, who was sort of a, an evangelist, a self-styled, self-called prophet, they wanted to take me out to breakfast. I was ready for free anything at that point. And um, not having really read the Bible yet, I remember telling me that the rapture is going to happen. I thought, well, what's the rapture? And the way they explained it was this. Now remember, I'm a brand new Christian. They said, well, you know, it'd be like if it happened right now, we'd be sitting here and all of a sudden we'd be gone. Our clothes would be on the chair. Our meals would just be left behind. And the people who aren't saved would still be there. And I thought it was the weirdest thing I ever heard. I thought it felt like science fiction to me. And I remember thinking, wow, what have I gotten myself into? But the more you study, the more you understand what God has said about it. The more wonderfully true it is. So just read Jesus' words, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses fifty-one and two. There's a time when we're going to be kind of worthy to escape the tribulation. It's going to come when Jesus returns for His bride. So Jonathan, I hope that helps, but. When we're gone, there's gonna be no restraint. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Floresville and talk with Margaret on line one. Margaret, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Margaret, are you there?
3: Yes, can you hear me? Hi Margaret.
2: I can hear you now. Uh, I'm driving.
3: I'm going to say this quick and get off. My question is about what well, you were just talking about, the rapture, but what happens to the children? What, what about the little kids or the, the kids that aren't quite babies or toddlers anymore?
2: Okay, I can answer that. Drive carefully. Thank you, Margaret, for your call. Um, um, Margaret, one of the unsatisfying answers. Uh, to questions like this is because we don't know the age of accountability for kids. But every person, when the rapture happens, uh, infant, uh, toddler, um, young man, young woman, uh, everybody who is unaccountable, meaning they don't know their right from left. Remember in the judgment on Nineveh, Uh, Jonah was mad because um, he wanted judgment to come and God says I've got a hundred thousand people there who don't know their right hand from their left and he was talking about children do you want me to judge them too Jonah well everybody who's not accountable they're sinners but they're not accountable people with mental problems people with special needs people that can't communicate They're all going to go to heaven. They're going to be with Jesus with us. Why? Because he takes care. When David lost his son after his sin with Bathsheba, immediately when he was told that the son had died, he said, well, he can't come to me now, but I will go to him. So, Margaret, we can rest in God's absolute justice, his absolute fairness, and anybody who is not accountable will be included in the rapture now the kids 12 year olds, teenagers um, they're accountable if if they are smart enough to know if they're aware enough to know who Jesus is uh, if they've rejected him uh, to us it sounds like well you know that's unfair because they're still so young everybody is given light everybody is given light so we can rest with that, Margaret. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to San Antonio now, line two. Joel, thank you for calling. Joel, you're on the air.
3: Well, thank you. Uh, this is, yeah, this is Pastor Ron. I've, this is Joel. I've been coming off and on, but I have been overcome lately. But oh. I wanted to thank you for your blessings that you've been giving me. And as a uh, indirect result, it's been blessing my wife. And I'll tell oh, you wow. a couple of examples. What now?
2: I said, that's wonderful. Thank you.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, one is for I've been, all my life, for the past 40 years, I've just been uh, at, a, at an even plane with Christ. I haven't been growing spiritually, but something has really turned over in the past four or five months. That is that. I've never read the Bible. It's always been boring to me. Now, parts of it mm-hmm. have, haven't, but I haven't gone through and through. I've gotten, was, been able to get down on my knees and ask God for spiritual help. And I've started going over, verse by verse, from, from Genesis 1, which you gave back in about 2009 when you started. That is really blessing me. And another thing that is really blessing me is that I couldn't take the Lord's Supper I mean, I would, but it's just to me. I, I didn't feel right about it. And, mm-hmm. and on this show, one time on the show, you said that uh, that if you feel guilty when you have taken the, the Lord's Supper, when you're taking it, when you've asked forgiveness and everything, and that's just Satan that's bombarding you, and you just need to, mm-hmm. to go away and, and enjoy the Lord's Supper. But anyway, I just want to thank you tremendously, and I hope to be able to get back to. Uh, Really helped get back to uh, to uh, Calvary Chapel again, and anyway, um, I, I really thank you for your blessings. It's My coming pleasure, over Joel. through the radio. I'll get off so ah. some others can get on there. Okay, that's okay. But
2: thank, you, Joel, thank you, Joel, very very much. You know, uh, when Joel, when you were when you were talking to me. Um, I, I remembered who you are. We'd love to see you and your wife again. So please give her our love. And, um, you know, when when people fade in and out of pastors' lives, uh, we worry about them. We pray for them. I know Paul and I were just talking about you last week. And uh, it's great to hear that you're doing well. Um, keep your Bible open and your heart open and let the Lord continue to bless you. What a wonderful, wonderful gift. Thank you for... for uh, let me know you're doing well. That's wonderful. Three four zero ninety is a question from Matthew. Um, I was in a church where a prophet told me that I was anointed by God to be a prophet like he was. How can I prepare for that ministry? Uh, Matthew, first and foremost, let me say this. Nobody needs to talk to you about what God has for you except for God. Be very, very careful. And in a church where somebody claims to be a prophet, I can tell you you are in a, an unhealthy church because there are no prophets today. Ephesians chapter two is as clear as it can possibly be, especially as you break it down in the Greek language um, the, the The church has been laid the foundation for the church has been laid that foundation is the New Testament prophets, the apostles. Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, they were God's gifts to the early church before there was a Bible. That foundation in the Greek tenses are really important. That foundation is already laid. And then it says the church is being built on that foundation. So we don't need more than one foundation. No more foundations are being laid. First Corinthians chapter 3, I think it's verse 11, says that no one can lay any foundation other than that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ himself. So the church is being built, which means there's no more prophets. Now, there's the gift of prophecy that doesn't make somebody a prophet. There's words of encouragement. But, but we're long past the time when somebody's going to look at you and say, Thus saith the Lord. And uh, this is a man uh, or a woman, it could be in, in, uh, in uh, our church world, Um, uh, out of control church this is an out of order man and he has no business telling you no business telling you what God's calling in your life is so you cannot prepare for that ministry whatever ministry God has for you will be glorious it will fit like a glove it will be challenging it will test your faith to the very limits of it But Matthew, that's the the place we all want to be in, that that place where we can only depend on God to deliver us. So please, please, please avoid that. I'll tell you a very quick story. Um, I was in church. um, This was sometime also in the first year of of, of my life after receiving Christ. Um, And um, I was out for a walk one day just talking and praying. It was very, very early on a Sunday morning. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, speaking to my heart. And he said, go to a church. And he named his church. Um, I didn't know anything about churches. Solid ones, good ones, bad ones. So I went home and said, Paula, we got to go to church. And this church was like a 45-minute drive. So we got in the car. We went to this church. And there was a pastor um, doing crazy things as he walked up and down the aisle, he looked at me and he says, you, God says to pay attention because you're going to be doing this. Well, he was part right. I'm a pastor. But I have never done any of those crazy things. And as it turns out, that wasn't the Lord leading me there at all. That was an enemy He was trying to derail my walk with the Lord. So don't put any stock at all in this. Um, We don't need that kind of help from people. The Lord has got you in his hands, Matthew, and he's going to take you places that are better than you ever imagined. Hope that doesn't disappoint you, but there are no prophets. 340-9585, we've still got a little bit of time for some phone calls. Uh, David says, I've been listening to several different pastors talking about tithing. Why do some say tithing is for today, and others say that it is not? It seems pastors ought to agree on this matter. You know, David, if we would read our Bibles correctly, if we would rightly divide the word, then we would be in agreement on this matter. A couple of things. One, there is no New Testament reference to tithing, period. Period. Tithing means a tenth. It is an Old Testament law given to the nation of Israel, and they were required, obligated, to give a tenth of their material blessings. Now the problem is that's Old Covenant. Jesus said, this cup is the cup of the New Covenant written in my blood, thereby replacing the Old Covenant. So what we want to do is we want to look in the New Testament for references to tithing. All we find in the New Testament is references to canceling the law that opposed us. The only New Testament reference to tithing is Jesus looking at Jews under the law saying you tithe and it's right that you do so. But he canceled that code himself. So why do we have this disparity? Some who believe, some who don't. I think there's a couple reasons. I think The church has a lack of faith. I'm not just talking about the people. I'm talking about the leaders in the church. David, with all my heart, I believe that God would be far more generous if we stopped trying to manipulate people or put them under a law to give. God would be far more generous. Now, I say that with some authority. We've never asked for a dime. We've never let our needs be known. And we have a church that is doing more things because everything is free here at our church. And it's an amazing work of God. It's an amazing miracle that we're even open, let alone we keep doing the things that we're doing. God has become very generous. Our people have become very generous. And they support a free school. They support a free doctor's office. They support a home. They support our radio ministries that go now all over the world. And we've never asked them for anything. And I just think there's a lot of churches who think, well, if I can obligate you to give, then I can build a budget and I don't have to ask God what to do. Some people say, well, tithing goes back before the law. Um, Abraham gave a 10th. It has nothing to do with the instructions we have in the New Testament. There are those who say, well, if we use 10% as a good starting place, uh, typically when pastors talk about money, the congregation leaves feeling guilty. Guilt sells. Funny you asked this today, David. I, I was listening just last night. Uh, sometimes my mind is still going so fast, so I put in a an earplug and listen to the radio. And I was listening to um, one of my favorite pastors, and he's a nice, nice man too, Jack Graham from Prestonwood Baptist Church in in uh, Plano, Plano, Texas. I love his teaching. Doctrinally, he is solid, but but yesterday was his biannual talk on giving and it turned into a tide that turned in test God on this and that's just an inappropriate approach for those of us who are under grace all you do is rightly divide the word David so the question isn't what other people say the question is what are you going to do with what the Lord says we have five minutes to see what question I can get to now we've got a question from Norman Uh, A friend of mine said the Bible approves slavery. I don't think that can be true, but I didn't know how to respond. Norman, a couple of things. The Bible reports slavery. Slavery was a fact of life in the Roman Empire. Slaves outnumbered free men four to one. You couldn't proclaim the gospel without slaves, and it wasn't a black and white thing at all. It was a an economic thing. Uh, The Apostle Paul was born a Roman citizen. He used that citizenship to great advantage later in his ministry. But people who weren't born Roman citizens were were slaves, especially if they were conquered by Rome. And so you had to deal with the issue, and the Bible reports on slavery as an historical issue. Nothing more, nothing less. But never does the bible say slavery is okay? I know the bible has been misunderstood, misquoted and abused, misused by people even in the history of our country to justify enslaving another human being. But listen to this, and this is Paul writing to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. He says, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. And for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. And what he's talking about there is hell and judgment. Slave traders, men stealers, the King James says, are condemned to hell. Apart from asking forgiveness from Jesus, they're condemned to hell. So the Bible never approves of slavery. I often say, Norman, that we have no right to mess with anybody else's life to cause other people to stumble and slavery of course does that we live in a time where um, sex slave industry in this country is prolific as like at no time in our history and anybody who would enslave another human being is going to stand before the, the justice of almighty God so it's just not approved at all. Tell somebody they get they need when they say that. Say to your friend, you need to know who Jesus is. Last question today. Here's one from Thomas. During worship, how should we respond to some in the church who are very loud or who fall on the ground during worship? And then he says simply, they distract me. Um, Thomas, I, I don't know the church setup that you're talking about. But when people are doing out of control things in worship, um, you ought to go uh, first to them and let them know quietly. If it doesn't go well, go to a pastor and let them know that, you know, I'm trying to worship and this person over here is, is uh, it just makes it hard. Unfortunately, people get out of control. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. And when you find a church that has out of control worship, that's not the Holy Spirit leading the worship. It's people who are trying to draw attention to themselves instead of letting the attention go where it belongs, and that, of course, is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Loud, that's hard to measure. But when people are falling on the ground or when they're doing things, believe me, Thomas, that's not the Holy Spirit. So pray for those people as well. The truth of the matter is, is that they're the ones who are missing out. Pray for them. Thanks for the questions. I appreciate the calls today, Joel. Once again, it was really great to hear from you. Know that you are doing well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Please keep Jasmine and her twin baby girls in your prayers. I'll give you an update tomorrow. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, see you tomorrow, 4 o'clock.
1: Thanks for spending
2: this time with Calvary
1: Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.